Well, good morning. I am coming to you from the uh, steps this morning of the Waterloo uh, Region Courthouse. And uh, this is a brand new building uh, in the middle of our city. And it's kind of interesting because we've got like the courts, there's provincial courts, there's municipal courts, there are city buildings um, in the area, municipal buildings, and um, in fact, even federal buildings. And so we're kind of in the core of the city where all of these um, forms of government come together and uh, interact with each other. And, um, and it wasn't like that in biblical days. In fact, religious and civil and uh, layers of government were all kind of meshed together, kind of, kind of like they formed this mass. And it was sometimes hard to peel apart uh, where one authority began and the other left off. And, and so for them, uh, when they were uh, in a courthouse, it had a religious context to it, uh, national context, and uh, even down to municipal, uh, all kind of rolled into one. And so um, today in this, in the surviving, uh, moving from surviving to thriving series where we're looking at um, some challenges and some conflicts that uh, were going on. In fact, you could even call this series uh, th thriving through change, thriving through conflict, thriving through challenges. I mean, there's, there's a preacher, they all started with C, but I mean, there are all kinds of circumstances in life that we need to thrive and uh, in order to survive. And, uh, and God knows that, and God knew that in the early church. And this morning, uh, uh, if, if, you were to, if you were to summarize it, it's wise counsel from Gamaliel uh, is be careful how you respond to opposition. I mean, we can use that in our life in so many different ways. We have different forms of opposition. There's relational opposition. There's opposition at work. And, and it, even at times it feels like there's opposition even in the body of Christ. We know there shouldn't be. We know that's not the intention. But sometimes it feels like there's opposition all around us. And uh, in so many things today are tried not by fact and not by those who are qualified, but it, they're tried in the court of public opinion. And I don't know, sometimes I, I get tired of Facebook and uh, Instagram and all of these things because um, there are all kinds of opinions given in there. And it's like a person's motives are tried there. What they do is tried there. Uh, I can uh, only imagine what it's like for people to be tried in the court of public opinion. And uh, in fact, uh, people today have an opinion on everything. In fact, you don't have to be an expert. You just have to have read enough articles uh, on Google or Wikipedia and all of a sudden uh, many people consider themselves an expert in all kinds of areas. and. Uh, and then they feel that they can give you advice. Do you find that? You go to do something and a person will say, well, I, here's how I would do it. And, no, no, I wouldn't do it that way. I would do it this way. The people that really endure themselves to me are the ones who say, uh, if, if that's, that's not the way to do it. 
you need to do it the right way and then they proceed to tell you what the right way is as if they have the corner on the market of what's right some areas we can do that uh, scripture is very clear and very plain and we know what's right and we know what's wrong um, you know but it comes down to those those um, other things those other areas of life um, I don't think there is a right way to put the toilet paper on the on the uh, hanger does it come down in front does it come from behind as long as it does what it's supposed to do that's really all that matters and yet he tell you some people really take preferences to that outer limit making their preference the right way to do something and uh, God knew his church was going to come under scrutiny. I don't know if you've felt scrutiny. Certainly as a pastor, I mean, that's something we live with. If you're in ministry and in any degree to um, in a vocational sense, even as a volunteer, uh, there are 10 people who can quarterback and uh, armchair quarterback and tell you how you should have done it. But when you're out there doing it, um, sometimes uh, things are not as easy as they seem and uh, God knew his church would come under that kind of scrutiny and and he uh, gives us some insight on what it is like in the early church is they come under intense scrutiny um, not only in the public opinion polls but in the government of that day which was very religious very very much tied up uh, civil and religious government together which we don't really have that concept today and uh, ours is more separation from state kind of based on the American um, context than um, than what the early church was and so today is we're in Acts chapter 5 and starting at verse 33 we see the response of the council remember last week John and Peter had been thrown into prison they got out of prison did that prison break thing angel tells them go and teach uh, so they go right to the temple and uh, they begin teaching in the name of Jesus and um, and the council was mystified where they were nobody could find them and then all of a sudden it was like like hey guys the guys you put into jail they're in the temple and hey guess what they're doing they're teaching the very thing that you told them not to teach in the very name you told them not to teach it in and uh, and so they're hauled back again and uh, today we pick up the story in verse 33 and we see the response of the council uh, but when they heard this, I'm talking about the council here, uh, that Peter and John were uh, not going to obey them, that uh, in fact they were accused of agitating, uh, instigating, sorry, Jesus' crucifixion. Not only were they teaching in Jesus' name, but they were pinning it right on the people who were the judges right now and saying, it's, it's you guys. You guys are responsible for this. And so uh, when they heard this, they were cut to the quick. When, when they took in what Peter and John were saying, uh, they're cut to the quick. And yet, it's not something we, we use a lot today. That word is to be vexed, it means to be torn apart. The, the, the thing that it reminds me of is one time I was, I was jumping off of a dock 
into the water, got, was coming up the ladder of the dock, and my foot slipped, and the edge of my big toenail caught on the wood is that I was pushing down, and it peeled the toenail straight up and off of the nail bed, and you just I just picked it up like that and, and picked the whole nail. That's being cut to the quick. Torn asunder, vexed, ripped apart, and uh, and intended. They had the mindset at this point to kill them. The only way we can deal with these guys is to is to kill them, get rid of them, do to them what we did to Jesus, and hopefully they won't um, be raised up from the dead. And then we see the Council of Gamaliel next, but. A Pharisee. Now, Pharisees are different than Sadducees. The first to speak last week were Sadducees, the liberals that didn't believe in the resurrection, didn't believe in miracles. The Pharisees were actually, could have been very easily aligned with Jesus. In fact, theologically, they didn't, they didn't have a long ways to go. It was that they were doing things different, that Jesus was not exactly the way that they thought Messiah would be. And and so they were in this box, and that box had bound them, and the box had blinded their eyes to who Jesus really was. And so the Pharisees are the conservatives, these, and, and they are the, you know, as I was saying, they're the ones that, that were closest to what Jesus taught, and yet um, had this blindness. And so now Gamaliel is a Pharisee, and he is speaking to the council. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, he was a teacher of Torah. In fact, we find out later in Scripture that Gamaliel actually taught Paul. Before Paul came to Jesus, began come, became a follower of Jesus, Paul was a student of Gamaliel. And, um, and uh, Paul was a Pharisee and he was trained by Gamaliel. It's like today if in theology you were trained by N.T. Wright. And he became your personal friend, your personal mentor. He gave you advice. He, he trained you. He, he um, was your personal teacher in all things. And, uh, and so that's kind of the relationship, it seems, that Paul had to Gamaliel. So this guy was, um, and who knows? I was talking to Nathan this week, and I said, like, do you think Paul tried to tell Gamaliel about Jesus after the fact, after the conversion. Like, what was the relationship like then? Was Gamaliel still open? Was he, maybe he became a follower of Jesus. We, we don't know. But um, he's a teacher of the law, and, it's, and it says kind of the credibility that he has that respected. He was held in honor by all the people. And he stood up in the council, so that implies he's a member of this council, remember the high court that we had talked about. And he gave orders to put the men outside for a short period of time. To give orders means it wasn't a suggestion, it was a command. So he had some authority in this group and, and enough respect that he could ask that kind of thing and the people responded right away. And, uh, and uh, he put the men outside and they moved them from the court and uh, Peter and John are now no longer there. Who knows, who knows how long this meeting had gone on? 
Uh, maybe they were welcoming the the respite. Maybe they were anxious, not knowing what was going on. Ever had a meeting about you that you weren't in? What's even worse is a meeting about you that you weren't in that you didn't know about. You get a guy, you get a sense of where these guys are at, and and he said to them, uh, to this council, the the seventy one, uh, take care that uh, what you propose, what you have in mind to do with these men. And then he gives some examples of the past about some things that had happened in, uh, with other men. And he lays out his argument for what he's about to recommend. And he talks about two men, uh, Thutis. Uh, actually, I thought it was Thaddeus, but it's actually Thutis. Uh, we learn about him from a Jewish historian named Josephus. Uh, for some time ago, ago Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody. He, he was making a name for himself. He was passing himself as somebody who was uh, should be listened to. And a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed. Now, Josephus tells us what happened. The Romans got tired of him. They ambushed him, cut off his head, took it back to Jerusalem, and put it on display to kind of make a statement that they were not happy with someone who was uh, rebelling. And all who followed him were dispersed, it means to be dissolved, kind of think of salt in water or snow melting, like it, they, just, they just went away. And they came to nothing. And then he has example two, a guy named Judas, verse 37. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census. Not sure whether it's the first census, second census, around the time of Jesus' birth, anyway, and drew some people away after him. And he too perished. Um, he actually told people not to pay their taxes to Rome. And if you paid your taxes, him and his guys would come in, burn your house down, and take your cattle or livestock, anything you had left. And um, and so he would, I mean, he, he made a name for himself. And, um, and, uh, those who followed him were scattered. The point is that Rome knew how to deal with agitators. Uh, Rome knew how to deal with people who were causing them trouble. And so here's Gamaliel's conclusion of the whole thing in 38. So in the present case, the men we're trying right now, the men that we have in court right now, those people of the way, those people of the truth, those who are following Jesus, I say to you, stay away from these men. Leave them alone. And let, and, and, and let them alone. Don't, don't hound them. Don't come after them. For, because, if this plan, this or action is of men, if the source is man-centered, well, just they'll be overthrown, they'll dissolve. That's the same word that was used earlier, to dissolve. But if it is God, of God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. Well, just like the two men that he talked about that Rome overthrew. If it's a man thing, they'll be overthrown in their own right. If it's not a man thing, you're not gonna overthrow them uh, like these other guys or else. In case it's that, you may even be found fighting God. I mean, that's a really strong picture that he brings here. I mean, have you been fighting any losing battles in your life? Um, some things that, that 
actually may be God-ordained. You don't think they're God-ordained. You think actually the worst thing that could have happened to you. And tell you, from the council's point of view, Peter and John are the worst thing that could happen to them. Uh, witnesses of this resurrected Jesus that they would like to pretend was no longer on the scene and was no longer causing any problem. They wanted that problem to go away. But uh, that's not what happened. And uh, I'm wondering um, if you're against something right now that's God-ordained. And, and I got thinking about, how do I know when to stop? How do I know when to quit pushing? How do I know when the thing in front of me is maybe something that I need to let go and let God continue in, in and maybe it's from him and not the thing that I really don't want and I put some things down here when to stop stop when you've done everything that you should do when I say you should do everything the Bible says you should be doing you've done it if it's opposition in your life I mean you've you've talked to the person you've you've tried to negotiate you've tried to to come to a satisfactory conclusion you you are not talking about it to other people you I mean everything the Bible says you should be doing you've, you've done it you're doing it you continue to do it and that opposition doesn't seem to go away number two when you've surrendered ownership of that thing to God sometimes it's something like a business it's something like a home and I don't know if you guys remember the early 80s, like a lot of people lost their homes. And I mean, recently in the 2000s, 2008, but in the 80s, um, interest rates were going crazy. I remember paying 27% uh, interest for a normal bank loan, secured bank loan. I mean, it was, it was nuts. And um, so have I surrendered that over into God's hands. And I tell you, when you're in those kinds of situations and, and you're in over your head, there always comes a point where you have to say, God, you're, you're in charge of this. You're in control of this. Thirdly, I've examined your motives. Why am I fighting against this? Why is this coming against me? Why am I, why am I finding myself pressing so hard for this thing? It can be very hard uh, understanding your own motives in things. And so as you look at your motives, uh, is this for my gain? Is that why I'm driving so hard? Is it for my reputation? Is it for um, the thing that I want out of this for my own satisfaction? Am I willing to give that up? Am I willing to let go of that? And fourthly, have I fasted and prayed to the point of surrender? So much of life is a surrender. Letting go of my say, letting go of my desire, letting go of my plan. I tell you, as a guy, that's really hard. Some of us are planners. Some of us are more entrepreneurial and want to make things happen. And that can be very frustrating 
to the people around us. And it can be very frustrating to us when it seems that that opposition is pushing back. And sometimes we can even get in the mindset that I'm going to push, I'm going to make it happen. And sometimes I wonder if God doesn't allow us to push through and those things to happen and uh, where that's not his best plan for us, but he allows us just like sometimes our kids, have you ever done that? Your kids pushing and pushing, pushing for, and finally say, fine, go ahead, try that out and see how that works. Sometimes I wonder if God doesn't do that with us. Well, they take the advice, it says, and you know, they sort of kind of take the advice. They do the one thing, but they do it in a very rough manner. They took his advice after calling the apostles in. They flogged them, used to thrash them, uh, flogging with sticks, um, kind of a baton thing, and they would just, they think of a willow stick about maybe the size of your finger uh, kind of like caning maybe uh, they beat them anyway and um, and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus like that's the third time um, you have that saying third times a charm uh, not so for these guys and then they release them and then what gets me is the response of the disciples and they have every right to be upset, upset, they have every right to be angry, they have every right to be frustrated, to be afraid, to be scared, to, to be questioning what's going on. I mean, if those things happen to us, uh, prison and, and uh, flogging and uh, standing, I mean, I've been in this courthouse a few times and and even when it's not you it's intimidating like i've watched guys try to make try to joke with the judge you don't judge you don't joke with the judge okay that just doesn't you just don't do that um judges look down on it when you joke with them and um and so here they are they've gone through all this and these next words are absolutely amazing. So they went their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. In front of the highest court in the land. What they're saying here is that, that God deemed that they could handle the situation. And they gave thanks to God that he had let them go through that to show their worth. Wow. Um, and every day in the temple, so in large groups and from house to house, in small groups they kept right on teaching <laughs> amazing these guys they just they, they they keep on teaching and preaching preaching just means to proclaim something they say stop 
stop preaching at me. Well, stop proclaiming. Stop telling me is what you're saying when you're saying preach. And sometimes we think of preaching as this, you know, kind of like in the 50s when guys screamed at the top of their lungs and they were, um, you know, they, they, they'd get a sweat on and all red in the face and and you thought they were about ready to, to, to bust a blood vessel. That's not preaching. In our society, maybe we think it is. You know, I've heard people say that about, oh, I heard some good old-fashioned preaching. Well, I'm not sure that's exactly what the Bible would call preaching. It's proclaiming. It's telling the truth. It's doing it with compassion. It's doing it with a heart to see the person hear and listen and, and respond in a positive way. Not condemning, that's for sure. And uh, they kept preaching, though, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Christ. Sometimes I make rash decisions. Sometimes it's not really the decision I thought out very well. And uh, especially like when I'm behind somebody and I'm driving and I'm waiting for every single, like, you, you know, there's only so much light. And you get the person there who won't turn left, even when there's a space big enough to drive a house through. And, and uh, you know, I've been known to tell that person not that this is not a career decision they're making. This is simply turning left. And I, I can get really heated and upset and frustrated. It's amazing how many times God just speaks in a quiet voice in my heart about, well, do you remember when you did that? And did you remember when you cut that person off and you just didn't see them? Or remember that time you were sitting at the light thinking about something and the person honked their horn behind you and you were the guy holding up the whole show? I, I love it when God does that. It's good for you. It's good for me. Sometimes I just make commentary on people's things and I and I give this advice to them, even if they're not present. And I uh, have a dialogue with a person who's not there. That makes you look kind of silly if you're standing, sitting in the car or and somebody's watching you or you're walking down the street and you're having this conversation. I'd say probably you shouldn't do that. That's not a good thing to uh, do. With this COVID thing, um, I found it extremely frustrating. I have found it very easy to pass judgment on stores and clerks and you know, we got a Tim Hortons near us and I think this must be under new ownership and it's like nobody there knows how to run a Tim Hortons and it, I think one out of one out of every three orders I've gotten lately has been wrong. I know I've had black coffee, I've had coffee with sugar and no cream, I've had coffee with cream and no sugar, and, and I've had hot chocolate instead of coffee. Um, I mean, it's easy to pass judgment on other people, it's easy to condemn, it's easy to want to um, kind of crawl through the window and uh, tell them why what they're doing is wrong. and. And uh, so the, I, I make all kinds of rash decisions because of the COVID thing and what's going on around me. And, and I wonder how many times in that we're fighting God when maybe it's just like the male said, um, that God is in it. And maybe God's in that frustration and he's in that waiting and he's in that time that we're, that we're, uh, we're being frustrated or, uh, 
in that day-to-day -day living situation that you're in right now that you would just love to get out of? I don't know. It doesn't come across that Peter and John were like that in their situation, that they wanted to get out of it. I mean, I'm sure if you just said, like, door number one, two, or three, and three is get out, uh, and there was a choice, and that didn't have to do anything wrong or deny Jesus, you know, I mean, none of us would want to be in that position of being under judgment by others by the authorities none of us would want to go to jail none of us would want to be flogged none of us would want to be hauled in front of the uh, Supreme Court justices of the day um, but it doesn't seem like they're in a real big hurry to exit the suffering I wonder how many times the things that we are actually frustrated about or actually something that God sent our way for a benefit. God's allowed to come our way for a benefit. We just don't see it. We just don't recognize it. And Gamal's words are very convicting. And I wonder how many times I've unknowingly been wrestling with God. We need to be careful as a church when it comes to condemning. I guess what really is it's getting me is some of the things I've seen in the last week on Facebook, condemning other ministries, condemning other pastors, condemning other congregations um, around North America. Uh, some of the words that are said about people who maybe don't see things the exact same way we do. They love Jesus. They believe in the fundamentals of the faith, virgin birth, resurrection of Jesus from the dead, substitutional atonement. I mean, all those things, I mean, it would just, it would be like a Pharisee. It'd be just ringing the bell all the time. And yet, and yet maybe we don't agree with how they do things. And maybe sometimes we assign motive, which Jesus really gets on people's case when you sign motives. But what I've seen on Facebook this week, has just been like, it's been vicious. And those are our brothers and sisters. And, and just think if it was your family member and somebody was treating them like that, well, they are our family member in the Lord, and that's where grace and, and no, we may not see things like they do, we may not do what they would do, but, but we can be kind, we can be gracious, we can agree to disagree on some things, and we certainly shouldn't be condemning them as a church, we need to be careful about how we speak about those who govern us. I think Gamal's counsel is good there. I mean, Roman says that they're there as a sort of justice, to do what's right. Now, do they always do what's right? I, I, I understand why, why you get frustrated with the government, and I get frustrated with the government. And, but it's easy to condemn them. It's easy to go after our leaders when we're not the ones having to make those hard decisions. And so I would say to you that there needs to be a lot of grace there. So be careful what you say. 
Be careful before you go after our Prime Minister. Be careful before you go after a member of the House of Commons. Be careful how you go after our provincial leadership and our municipal leadership. Because we too might be fighting the very hand of God. Well, finally, as a church, we need to know that there are times where actual obedience can be costly. And the disciples today, they found themselves there. This time they don't just get a jail sentence. This time they don't just get hauled in front of uh, the magistrates. This time they uh, are flogged. Physical pain has a way of uh, getting our attention. Physical pain has a way of making us change our minds. Uh, physical pain has a way of uh, affecting us like nothing else. Um, they come into real persecution. Not imagined persecution, not persecution because they're being knobs persecution because they were doing exactly what God told them to do, how he told them to do it, when he told them to do it, and they take that consequence and they run with it. And they are happy to take the punishment in order to walk in obedience. Man, I don't know. That one seems really difficult. And we don't know how much longer before that kind of thing may reach us here. I mean, I know our brothers and sisters around the world, there are many who face that, that daily. And uh, they count it worthy to be deemed able to stand against that kind of opposition. Well, Father, we would ask today that you would prepare our hearts that if in our lifetime, if in our day, that we have to face opposition, we would be ready. I pray that in this day and in this time, that if we are called upon to, to do what's right and to suffer persecution in the public forum, condemnation in the public court of opinion, that we would stand ready and sure and able to do what's right and to do it happily because we're being obedient to you. I pray for us as a church that we would not be like the Sanhedrin, that we would follow the counsel of Gamal, to be careful who we speak against, to be careful who we criticize. For those very people may be used by you in our lives and in our churches and in our country and in our city and our province to actually accomplish something that you are willing and desiring to accomplish and they are the tool in your hand. So help us to be wise in those things. And today we would ask that you would prepare us. Prepare us for the days ahead. Prepare us in the, as we come out of this COVID thing. Uh, prepare us as if, if there's more time to be spent in isolation that we would not uh, take up some of these causes. Be careful about uh, ranting and railing against fellow brothers and sisters that we would not have a, that kind of heart but that our heart would be open to you kind compassionate 
that we would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that Jesus has come, he is your son, and he has made a way for us to find forgiveness in your court, the highest court. And so we come to you today. Teach us, I pray. Be with us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Be sure to tune in to the Zoom at 11.30 as we uh, ask Dusty and Nathan questions. And remember, have a great week.